Warning, the following content may be offensive to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, welcome to another exciting episode of Bible and Wine Time. This is the final episode of season one, and today's episode is all about faith, what it is, how it works, and how true faith should and does impact your life. I'm excited about this episode today. I hope that you are too, because it is faith that motivates the Christian life, faith that comes from love in Jesus. Anyway, the first part of faith I would like to look at is a verse that is very likely to be quite familiar to most of us out there, and that is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. In the New Living Translation, it says this, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, That sounds promising. Let's check out another translation. The Amplified Bible says this, And now there remain faith, abiding trust in God and His promises, hope, confident expectation of eternal salvation, love, unselfish love for others, growing out of God's love for me. These three, the choicest graces, but the greatest of these is love. Now, why would I start with a verse from the love chapter to begin a discussion on faith? Surprisingly, the answer is both ridiculously simple and loaded. Actually, it's just loaded. Let's go ahead and uh, look at another couple of verses. The first we've reviewed in another podcast already, episode four. That episode was about agape, the Greek word for love in action, a.k.a. the unconditional love of God. Here's these verses now. 1 John 4, 7-8 in the Passion Translation says this, Those who are loved by God, let His love continually pour from you to one another, because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of Him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. There's the first two. Now let's look at the next passage. Ephesians 2, 8 puts very plainly, in the Aramaic Bible in plain English. For it is by His grace that we have been saved through faith. And this faith was not from you, but it is the gift of God. Let's look at one more translation or version of this verse. In the New American Standard Bible it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, before anyone can even begin to criticize or accuse me of using this verse out of context to make a clear point, I would like to point out that the Jewish rabbis of old thought a little bit differently than we did about the context of Scripture, but that would be another discussion for a different time. So we can see plainly that we're saved by grace through faith, and that the faith didn't even come from us. It came straight from God. Let's move on, though. I'm going to go ahead and read another passage, Romans 12, 3. Again, I'm using the Passion Translation, fantastic translation of the Bible. And this is what it says, Romans 12, 3 in the Passion Translation. God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Instead, Honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement, and then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. Wow, that verse says a lot. However, let's continue to focus on faith. The point of all these passages, or at least the point that 
I would like to make or to illustrate with them is this. Faith comes from God. Furthermore, the faith of God, one should or could say, is born from his love. Since we have seen that God is love and faith is a gift from God, then faith also comes from and is perfected in the perfect, unconditional love of God. As we continue our quest for truth, it would be quite wise to not only seek the nature and function of faith itself, but also how faith is empowered by love and even hope. So let's go ahead and look at the definition of faith itself before going any further. I'll start with the definition given in Scripture, and I believe it's in the book of Hebrews, that is Hebrews 11.1. 1. And this is what it says in the King James Version. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. One more translation. Faith is the assurance of things you have hoped for, the absolute conviction that there are realities you've never seen. One more translation. Then I'll move on to define the word in the Greek, and if possible, Hebrew as well, maybe, if I can find a clear line from Greek to Hebrew for the word faith. Here's that verse again, Hebrews 11.1. 1. In the Passion Translation, it says, Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Ooh, it looks like faith from a very biblical perspective thus far is the key or at least one of the keys to a proved and effectively safe interaction with other realities or dimensions. It's also the key to receiving the things that we ask God for or the things we pray for. Faith thus far is very important. Fortunately, God provided us with great faith. Let's keep going, though, and define the word in the Greek. The complete word study New Testament has this to say about faith. It is Strong's number 4102, and the Greek word is pistis, and it means this, being persuaded, faith, belief. In general, it implies such a knowledge of, assent to, and confidence in certain divine truths, especially those of the gospel, as produces good works. And moving on down a little bit, I see the doctrine of faith or of the gospel promising justification and salvation to a lively faith in Christ. That was interesting. Faith, as we can see from the Greek so far, means to be persuaded, believe, and having knowledge and agreement of divine truths, such as the gospel of Jesus Christ, which as far as I know, means good news. It also seems to be telling us that disbelief, persuasion, and knowing produces good works within us or without us or through us? Yeah, what's it saying here? It looks like the one with faith does works not to produce faith, but because the faith is moving them. Something about that faith perfected in love? Anyway, let's look at that last sentence one more time. The doctrine of faith or the gospel promising justification and salvation to a lively faith in Christ? That sounds promising to me. Could it be what this is saying? The inner knowing and embrace of the faith in and of Yeshua produces lively expressions in an uninhibited fashion that lead by necessity and almost effortlessly to good works? I believe we should examine a few more scriptures to find out. Romans 8, 8 through 12 in the King James Version says this, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh, wait a minute. I don't think this is the passage I actually wanted to use. Excuse me. I want to go to Romans 1, 8 through 12 in the message. 
and it says this, I thank God through Jesus for every one of you. That's first. People everywhere keep telling me about your lives of faith, and every time I hear them, I thank Him. And God, whom I so love to worship and serve by spreading the good news of His Son, the message, knows that every time I think of you in my prayers, which is practically all the time, I ask Him to clear the way for me to come and see you. The longer this waiting goes on, the deeper the ache. I so want to be there and deliver God's gift in person and watch you grow stronger right before my eyes. But don't think I'm not expecting to get something out of this too. You have as much to give me as I do to you. See, to me, this passage reveals another facet of faith in operation. And as we'll continue to explore just how much more deeply love, hope, and faith are tied or intrinsically work together. As we can see, Paul waited expectantly for a way to be made for him to speak to the church in Rome. He was thankful for them and saw the faith in and of Yeshua in and unto them. He knew the Lord gives gifts to people equally, though the gifts vary. Paul expected to receive from the church in Rome as much as he had to give. This expectation, thankfulness, and hope reveal the faith in operation. Let's go ahead and take a look at the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word pistis, if I can find a straight line. If one does exist, I find a very useful tool for this to be Thayer's Greek English lexicon. Ah, it would appear there is not a clear line from the Greek word pistis to a Hebrew word but we might be able to glean some wisdom from examining another verse or two. So let's go ahead and look at Romans 10:17 in the New Living Translation. Oh, this is a fun one. This is what it says. So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. Again in the Amplified, it says this. So faith comes from hearing what is told, and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message concerning Christ. So it looks like, Faith is produced by hearing the good news about Jesus, or it comes by the preaching of the message concerning Christ? In the Passion Translation, Romans 10:17 says, Faith then is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the Anointed One. Seems pretty clear to me. And here's something with a bit more clarity to it, and a trail easily followed by tracking the Greek word for hearing we see that faith comes from hearing this good news about Jesus. So the Greek word for hearing is Strong's number 189, and that is the word akae, if you want to look that up. I found in Thayer's Greek English lexicon that this word akae was used in the Greek Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, in place of the word shema. That means hear or hearing, and that's Strong's number 8085. Now, using one of my old Hebrew tools, the Word Study Old Testament, some of the definitions offered for this word, Shema, Strong's number 8085, are to hear with attention or obedience, to give undivided listening attention, to hear spiritually, to understand what one has heard. In the Word Study Old Testament Dictionary, these definitions are offered to obey, to be heard of, to be regarded, to cause to hear, to proclaim, to summon. Wow, there's a lot there about hearing. Let's continue, though. 
The most famous use of the word in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. And in the New Living Version, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Keep these words in your heart that I am telling you today. Do your best to teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as something special to see on your hand and on your forehead. Write them beside the door of your house and on your gates. This passage reminds me of some of the words that Jesus spoke in John 14, 15-17. In the Passion Translation, we read this, Loving me empowers you to obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Savior, or in other translations, another helper and friend, the Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend just like me, and he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him, but you will know him intimately because he will make his home in you. And will live inside you. Okay, so how do these verses connect with faith? Let's look at just a few more verses about faith and then wrap this up. James 2, 14 through 24 in the message says, Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, You come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup? Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together, hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith in works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners, that faith expresses itself in works, that the works are works of faith? The full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his action. It's that weave of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God not by a barren faith, but by faith fruitful in works? That says a whole lot. Let's go ahead and review. Remember 1 Corinthians 13 and the three eternal graces, faith, hope, and love? Recall how we stated, or rather how I stated, that faith, hope, and love are connected and that faith springs from and is empowered by love? The love that empowers faith is the love of God revealed in the gospel message, the good news about the kingdom of God, and the good news about the finished work of Yeshua. Let's remember that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And then we saw in James just now that faith and works go hand in hand. And I believe they're all motivated by love. 
and hope. Faith, hope, and love are all interconnected and without one functioning the right way. The other's not really working that well either. So how do we get them all in line? Well, it's our business to seek God, but it's his business to see to it that it's all working, at least in my opinion. Anyway, it's time for the wine. Today's wine is a Manischewitz Blackberry. It is a kosher wine, not kosher for Passover use. And I am tasting this wine out of a Rosenthal Studio line. I believe it's an aerated glass. So what does this wine taste like? Well, there's definitely a blackberry flavor. Out of the aerated glass, I would say it's not like overbearingly sweet. This is otherwise very sweet wine. So you're going to want to aerate it to kind of make it a little bit lighter. It's usually pretty thick and dark. The aerated glass kind of lightens it up. When it's aerated, it kind of has sort of a lighter, creamier vibe. In a non-aerated glass, it's can pretty thick and syrupy. But I would say for a $6 bottle of Blackberry Minishevitz wine, it's not too shabby, especially if you like sweets. Give it a shot. See what you think. There's really nothing quite like the Minishevitz Blackberry wine on the market. Anyway, I hope you have enjoyed today's podcast, especially since it is the season finale of season one. I will be back season two, probably a few months from now, with some really special things for you guys and gals, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, whoever is listening to this podcast. God bless you all. This has been Bible and Wine Time, and I'm Professor Claris. Why?